Memphis, 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 what up, Grizz Nation, and welcome back to another episode of Grizz 901. I am your host, Daniel Greer, and today we have with us one of the guys that you're either going to love or hate. He is Sean Coleman. What's up, Sean? Hate? Like, like I, I, man, that's, that's, this makes me sound like a polarizing p- figure, but all right, I, I guess I'll have those, uh, those opinions. What's up, Daniel? Uh, it legitimately... I'm going to say, typically I say it's always a pleasure, but in your case, I'd be lying. So, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm kind of glad to be here. Nah, man, it's always good to be with you, man. Hope you've been well. What's going on? Not much, man. We uh, we love Sean. He is, um, he's he's a lot of fun and he likes to talk and he likes to ruffle feathers, which I personally love and a lot oh, of yeah. people love as well. But the reason I say you're going to love or hate him is because he will ruffle your feathers and you might not like the ruffling if you know what i mean <laughs> is that the shuffling or the ruffling i don't know uh but sean does a podcast he is with the locked on grizzlies i've always mistakenly said locked up grizzlies but i will i've fixed it over the the year or so because it's so easy to say locked up instead of locked on uh but he does locked on grizzlies he also does a little bit of work for the grizzly bear blues and so sean is a busy busy man but I brought him in here because one, he always invites me on his podcast. So if you ever check out him, he likes to be the first listen of the day, which you know what? I'm a big fan of that. That slogan is really, really good. Um, but if you want to listen to him, by all means, go check him out. He's putting up a podcast almost daily. Uh, and that's a lot of hard work. And so just go ahead and check him out. He's a big fan of our show. So go be a fan of his show. But we don't want to get into the game that just ended. It was the Knicks against the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies come out on top, 120 to 108. Jaron Jackson Jr., 26 and 10 rebounds with a nice double-double. It was a plus 900, Sean, plus 900, and I didn't do it. I didn't pull the trigger. But, <laughs> but Ja had 23 and 9 assists, another decent game out of him. And so that leads me into the question, Sean. What's your biggest takeaway for the, for the Knicks game overall? So you had a game plan where you had Tom Thibodeau, who's one of the best defensive minds we've seen in at least the past quarter century when it comes to NBA basketball. And you knew his game plan for a team with the Knicks who came into this game being a top five, well, top 10, arguably top five team in the league, being able to guard the paint. They had a game plan in place. They knew that John Desmond Bain can consistently rise up to be one of the best backcourts in the NBA. They were going to make sure those two players were not the reasons the Grizzlies won tonight's game. The Knicks did their job, a combined 13 to 45 from the field. And what wound up happening? The Grizzlies wound up winning. And that is what stands out to me as the biggest thing, is that you have so many layers now that are trustworthy to emerge when you need them to for this team to win. If you take Jaw and you take Desmond out of the equation, 
you didn't really take them out of the equation, but they certainly were not the main reasons why the Grizzlies won. Take those two out of their games. Yeah. Jaron Jackson Jr. steps up in the best player on the court. But it's not just that. 30 assists and 16 of 39 from three. The Knicks implemented a game plan that said, y'all are going to have to beat us, Memphis, by shooting the three and moving the ball. And that's exactly what they did. So the confidence and the reliability of different features, different aspects of our offense stepping up even when our two most productive offensive players are not at their best, that was the big takeaway tonight, and getting the job done. And to start off the month of February for Jaron Jackson Jr. with arguably his best offensive game of the year after he was a Player of the Month nominee in January for his defense, it's a pretty encouraging sign. Yeah, it was big. It was big to see that other guys stepped up. But as you were talking about, you know, Tom Thibodeau doing his uh, defensive implementation of their game plan, they did it very well, especially in the second half. But I also look at that and say the Grizzlies, they also stepped up. So it was a game of adjustments and adjustment first came with with Tibbs, uh, making sure they double up, if not triple team jaw but also the the Grizzlies made the adjustment and whether the adjustment is just hitting the open shots or actually making the best play offensively that is really the key to that win uh so that leads me into this next question and I'm glad you answered it the way you did because it sets me up perfect I guess you're is that professional is that what that means for you that's experience I guess you could say so the question is how important is it for jaw but also the rest of the team to see these different types of matchups or adjustments uh, heading into a big playoff matchup that could be? Oh, it's just huge, right? And, and, and that's the thing about it. Because the more often that we see, and I talked about this yesterday on Locked on Grizzlies, the more often that we see that defenses implement game plans to where they limit Jaw, they limit Desmond, it makes the rest of the team have to step up. And you saw it happen tonight. But it helps out in a couple of different ways. Number one, Zaire Williams had the best game of his career tonight after struggling against Philly and missing that shot late. What does he do after experiencing adversity or a failure? He comes right back and has his best game ever. That doesn't happen unless he has the confidence from his team, as he talked about in the postgame presser. But the other big thing, Daniel, is this, is that as good as we've been, 25-7 and now since the start of December, as good as we've been, the secret star success are getting the possession edge for two-point shots through offensive rebounds, through creating turnovers, and through getting out on the break. That's fine during the regular season. It's harder to win that way in the playoffs, so you're going to have to shoot the three. You're going to have to make your high-percentage shots. That is areas where we've struggled. Tonight was a night where we were successful, and as tonight was a night where we were going to have to be successful to win. So the more often this happens, in which Jaw and Desmond are taken away, it puts more reps in the hands of our other players for them to step up, and it's going to take a combined team effort to shoot well from distance in order to make the playoffs games like tonight certainly help, you know, make that more consistent. Yeah, and that's going to be the biggest key is hitting those open shots because we don't have a lot of shooters on this team. Um, and so does is that something that the Grizzlies need to make uh, at the trade deadline and find shooting, or do we leave this team alone? So there are several different things that go into it. Um, The thing that I'll say is this, is that going into this year, I have been an advocate that shooting has been the number one thing that I felt 
was a huge need for us to improve in. The thing is, is that we've improved in the type of shooting that I have felt we needed to improve in. The overall ability of this team, Daniel, to create its own, its own shot, it's taken significant steps this year. Yeah. The issue with the Grizzlies when it comes to the shooting is the catch-and-shoot three-point opportunities, which make up 75% of your overall attempts, but also the open three-point opportunities. We're bottom 10 in the league coming into t- tonight's game in both those areas. So the thing that I'm getting at is, is could we use more shooting? Sure. Do you go out and you get a pure shooter who takes away that value by being a liability elsewhere and having that player replace someone in our rotation? I don't necessarily think so. Um, you know, if you could work a deal out maybe for uh, Harrison Barnes or you yeah. can to a, to, for a Kyle Kuzma or maybe on a smaller level, maybe a Justin Holiday or a Kenrich Williams, sure. You make that move because it's not only helping you out now, it's also giving you another option that can take up some rotation minutes when they become more freed up starting next year. But at the end of the day, do the Grizzlies need to go out and get a pure shooter just to have that extra shooting? I don't necessarily think so because you see tonight, they can take care of it themselves. They have the pieces, the potential on their roster to provide the shooting that they need. So does an extra shooter make sense? Sure. Is it a necessity? Probably not. And at this point, I think you're fine either way. If they make a sensible trade, you're confident that it's going to be something that makes sense. If they stand pat, this team has earned the right for everybody to be okay with that because of how special they've been. And plus, let's not forget, they're getting another shooter back to an extent in Dylan Brooks, and we haven't even seen this team with its best players on the court for more than 100 minutes this year. So we'll see. So does, and this is probably a spicy question, but is this a chance to really see your team without Dylan Brooks and to no. pot- potentially move on without him? No, no. It, and, and, and what I'll say, I, I don't really know if yes and no is the right answer, but the immediate answer is no. Okay. The reason that I say that is because of this. Right now, this team is not at its best without Dylan Brooks. Because at the end of the day, Dylan Brooks is a pure difference maker on the defensive end of the court. I'm not saying that he's one of the top three, top five perimeter defenders in the league. I am saying he is one of the better ones in the league. But the big, huge key that stands out is with Dylan getting back and taking on the opposition's highest usage or biggest perimeter threat on a night-in, night-out basis – That gets everybody else into roles that they're more comfortable with and more effective in. And now you look at Dylan on the perimeter and Jaron in the post, that is the basis of a top 10 defense in the NBA. So for this roster for right now, the best versions of themselves is with Dylan Brooks. Now, when you do look at players on the roster for the reasons that I just mentioned, when you look at Dylan Brooks, Now, you certainly see how important he is. But when you look at this team in the future, is it Bain or Dylan that you potentially use to go and get that true star to be your two or three with Jaw and Jaron in whatever form you want to put them in? It's Dylan that you use. Your Mm -hmm. three most important players right now are Jaw, Jaron, and Dylan. And for this roster, in no way, shape, or form is this roster without Dylan better than this roster with Dylan because of his two-way ability. However, in the future, you're going to have to make decisions. 
And when you do, I do think that in some way, shape, or form involves Dylan Brooks, but you better damn well make sure that that means you're getting a better talent overall that's going to take you to the next level if Dylan Brooks is not a part of your roster. So that that's how I answer that question. Okay. Well, so I kind of disagree. So, so I, you know what? I'll, I'll use yours as I agree, but I also disagree. The simple fact that Dylan is on a you know, two-year contract ride. He's on this year, and then he has 11-4 next year. So you're having an expiring contract next year. So if you're able to, and this is in the, uh, the realm of being a perfect situation, right? Only in that situation do you move on from a guy like Dylan Brooks and even a guy even like uh, Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones because I think they're very important to the chemistry of this team. But also, I do think that if you just move them to get peanuts, it doesn't make sense, right? But if you move them to make a big deal or a big move, I think that the team can understand, even though it would mess up with chemistry a tiny bit, I do think it's a there's a position there to take a stance on that if you're going to better your team in the future. So with that being said, sending out an, uh, a player such as Dylan Brooks on an expiring contract doesn't really make sense. So is it when you have a, a chance to send him out when he's on two years left, which is the rest of this season and next season, when you can look at a team right now who isn't destined to win a championship unless they just get pure luck, okay? So this season's already pretty much done unless they can find the right situation and the right time to strike, such as teams go down with injuries. So with that being said, why are we holding on to the inevitable if we think we're going to move on from Dylan anyway if, if the right situation comes? I think now gives Dylan the highest – I guess the highest part of his trade value. But the only issue with this is his injury right now. That kills this whole thing. But if it wasn't the injury and that was no big deal, I think the best thing right now would be to move off of Dylan this year compared to next year. That's a fair point. And, and the thing that I'll say is, is that I think that they're at in the summer um, it is something that certainly does make sense. That's when you start talking Dylan, but Let's also go back to this entire calendar year of 2021. I'll give you two reasons why you don't move off Dylan now versus moving off of him in the summer. Because the whole point about this Grizzlies team, number one, it's against the track record that you see from your franchise. You don't see the decision makers for this franchise making moves to where they're going to mess up the chemistry of this team. They did it in year one of Jaw simply because at that time it was fully focused on still getting this core together for the future. But they didn't do anything at last year's trade deadline. And you saw what happened. They made a run. It was chemistry. It was team aspects, team concepts that got the job done. This year, you have the same thing, but you know that this team is going to be at a better version of itself on defense with Dylan in the fold. Mm -hmm. I get that what you're saying makes sense. I get Dylan's value may be higher now for a true contender for him to have two years as being someone that another team could use in a playoff run. But there's not really a player out there that you're realistically going to be able to make it worth trading Dylan for at the trade deadline. Yeah. So instead, keep the chemistry together, which is the biggest reason why the Grizzlies right now, you could say they're a fringe contender, get Dylan back. Basically, as a trade deadline acquisition himself, have your defense be top 10, have your offense be top 10, and let it play itself out. 
The big thing that I'm getting at is, is that if the right perfect deal came through, do I think the Grizzlies would make would would do I think the Grizzlies would trade Dylan? Sure. I think that that likely there's a chance, a relevant chance he's traded in the 2022 calendar year. But you don't do it right now unless you let it come to you. Because letting things play out, letting things come to this team, that mentality has led to better than expected results for the third straight year. And now you're coming off a month where with that playing out, you've got John Morant playing like a top five player in the NBA and Jaron Jackson Jr. joining John Morant as a Western Conference Player of the Month nominee. Don't change what's working. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I don't want to mess up with the chemistry because uh, a lot of people don't believe in chemistry, and I 100% do over my years of playing sports. I realize that some of the most talented teams I've ever been a part of did not do well and because a lot of us, you know, our, our team did not like each other. And no matter how good we were, no matter how much we could see that we were that good, we didn't like playing with each other, so we weren't as good. Uh, so I guess my, my next thing is this team. The trade deadline is coming up on February the 10th. Do you see them making any moves at all? Yeah, I, I see that there's probably going to be. I give it about a 50-50 chance. Um, I feel like there are definite conversations because there are layers of reasons for this Grizzlies team to have conversations. Number one, they're going to have conversations to be creative. They're going to see if they can make something work. They've got expiring contracts such as Jarrett Culver. You could potentially see them using a Kyle Anderson, though that may not necessarily be the case. I certainly do think that they're looking to move off Culver's contract. They have three first-round picks, including two that are likely going to be in the 20s. You're not going to see the Grizzlies really put a lot of stock in having two more rookies on rookie deals come in to the fold next year when they're truly going to be going after being a contender. So mixing Culver with either two seconds or potentially a 2022 first and going to get a player like a Kenrich Williams or Justin Holiday. You know, I mentioned Kyle Kuzma, Harrison Barnes. The whole key with that type of move, Daniel, if they can find a wing on an affordable contract who certainly is someone that can add value, not necessarily as one of the top four or five players, but in a rotation role, that may not make that much of a difference this year, but it will give them a reliable source for next year if Tyus, Kyle, and others were to walk. So I think that one thing that makes sense for them to do is to take that expiring contract of Culver, take one of those first-round picks, put them together, and get relevant, use those things that are relevant in the present to get future value out of them that's going to be able to make an immediate impact now, next year, perhaps into the future. But the key that I think the Grizzlies are going to do is they're going to look for wing depth that I think that they can control beyond this year. Not necessarily that final piece, that all-in piece, but just a reliable rotation piece that certainly can grow into a bigger role next year if the minutes were to be available. Yeah, I, I think the future outlook on that is the right one. Um, if you had to k- take a stab at this, uh, tra- trading Jared Culver is probably the best option, right, at this point, um, because putting your finger on a trade for Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, just does not make sense right now. Uh, it might pop up, who knows. But for Jared Culver, do you expect them to package him and you know some picks, whether it's a first or seconds, and then getting back another player? Or do you think they just get rid of Jared Culver for some future seconds or maybe a future first, not even next year. I'm talking about maybe 24, 25, way far in the distance. If you had to take a, a guess, it's pretty much 50-50. Which one do you think would happen? 
Oh, I, I think in a heartbeat, I think that they'll probably look to move Culver for a player. I think because with them already having six first round picks over the next three years, I think that their goal right now is to more consolidate than it is get an asset. Now, I'll tell you this. If you want to offer any type of future first for Jarrett Culver, if Zach Kleiman <laughs> hangs that phone up after that future first is offered, I'm going to have questions. I'm seriously going to have questions. I don't think that's going to happen. But I will say this. This team, though I think they're going to be focused on players, they're going to be focused on looking for someone that can contribute this year and next. They did just go and trade Grayson Allen who on his contract coming off the year that he had, getting a project like Samiro plus two seconds, if you look at the market for those type of players, that is a sensible return when it happened. I I understand people may say we sold low on Grayson Allen. We we got a cheap deal. No, we didn't. The, The market value for that type of player was the return that they got. But my point is, is that if the market return for that type of player is two seconds in a project, you now look at Jarrett Culver, if you get any type of you know relevant second round pick or two second round picks, sure you make yeah. that move because at the end of the day, Jarrett Culver is likely not going to have any value for you beyond this year. A second or two will have value for you with the creative front office. Plus, you open up a rotation spot where maybe you put, become a you know player in the buyout market, or maybe you look to add another younger player to give them minutes that you really really like. So, sure, I think that there are layers to what they could do with Jarrett Culver, but I think they go player, then picks as a last resort. Okay. I like that. All right, a few more. Uh, we'll get you out of here. I know your time is very important. I got all the time in the world. <laughs> I'm just waiting to the point to where I get to insult you. Go ahead. Go hey, ahead. I'm giving you so many chances at this point. Uh, yeah. So, the Western Conference, uh, the Grizzlies are currently in third. Yep. Who are your contenders in the West? Right now, I'm not looking for the future. Right now, if you had to say, when the playoffs started today, who do you think the contenders are? Phoenix and Golden State. That's it. Yeah, that, that, that's that, to me, I'll put, yeah, I, I'm going to say Phoenix and Golden State. If, if you want for me to put a third one in there just because I would need to, um, I, I, I might say uh, Utah, but I think that Utah is going to have some flaws. Um, I think that uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis led Lakers team easily could still play like the fourth best team in the West over a short stretch. They could do that over a playoff series. I just think there's too flaw- too many flaws for that team to be able to, number one, beat a Golden State or a Phoenix, and then beyond that, beat whoever, whatever Eastern Conference team that they play. But if you're talking about legitimate candidates, in my opinion, it's two teams. It's Phoenix and Golden State. I don't put Memphis up there because I don't think that they're going to be able to play the style of basketball that they need consistently to, at least yet, to um, beat a Golden State or Phoenix. I think that they would give both those teams a, you know, a run of six or seven games in the second round. But to me, it's Golden State and Phoenix. Okay. I got a question, uh, and I was proposed with this question, and it kind of blew me away for a second. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are very much contenders. I think everybody's consensus on that. Uh, what did they change outside of Clay Thompson than last year? Their depth. Um, okay. When you look at Otto Porter, when you look at Bajeka, I believe his name is, development and depth. Um, the, the two big deals, I can't think of the guy's name. I'm horrible with names. But the big guy that they got, Bashinga Bajega, does something to that extent. But the depth that they have is something that really stands out 
You also have the development of Jordan Poole as a compliment to Steph Curry. You have the development of um, uh, uh, Andrew Wiggins, who's become an absolutely wonderful two-way player. He's a player. He's one of the players who my opinion has changed the most on in the league, but it's depth and development. And I'm right there with you. That's a reason why I think that we give them a tough series is because on the end of the day, when you look at paper, there probably is not that much difference, but you've got more depth. You've got more development. And the reason why you have those things is because you have so many players who are playing for something. They have the intent to play for something. But the other key thing that I think is underrated, this isn't the same type of Warriors team that we saw during the dynasty. You've had adjustments made from Clay's game to Draymond's game with them getting older. But you also have development more from role players, and they have been playing together. They have been playing together now for two years. That plays a part in it. So a full season of Golden State playing with a pretty similar but deeper roster than we saw them play with in that play-in tournament. That makes all the difference in the world because that chemistry is there, and they, like us, they have layers that can beat you even if Steph's not going off. So that's what's changed. Does death really matter that much in a playoff game if you're only going eight deep? Absolutely. Okay. And the reason why, and the reason why that is, is because it's not necessarily depth as much as it is development. Otto yeah. Porter, Jordan Poole supporting Steph, Draymond Clay, and and um, Andrew Wiggins. It's hard to see another team really matching up with going six or seven in the Warriors' depth. So I'm not talking about their eighth, ninth, tenth guy. You know, that when we get in that conversation, that's where the Grizzlies really stand out. Right. When it comes to the overall versatility and consistency of a top six or seven, it's hard to sit there and find a team that matches up with the Warriors. And of course, also you've got Steph, who still can be the ultimate chess piece offensively on any given night with his shooting. That's where they stand out. It's the development of their secondary core to support Steph Draymond and Clay. Okay. So my, my real question comes to this. When you say the exact same things in the same, I guess, terms that you give for the, the improvement for the Golden State Warriors, what's different than the Grizzlies? The consistency. Okay. And the reason why that is, it's the consistency of, again, what style is going to win you games in the playoffs. The Grizzlies win games right now through offensive rebounding, turnovers, as well as getting out in the open court through transition. That's how they win games more often than not, plus getting stops on the top 10 defense. And that does play well against the Warriors. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you were to look at both rosters and you were to answer without bias, which team do you feel is going to get more offensive balance because of how reliable their shooting is? I think 80% of 100 people would say the Warriors, you have more faith in their balance due to their shooting than you do the Grizzlies. And it's absolutely the right answer if you look at the statistics. The Warriors' strengths correlate better with advancing in the playoffs right now than the Grizzlies do. And that's that's not anything against either team. It's just simply the Warriors have been set up for the way that they have for nearly a decade now. The Grizzlies are just now getting into their first year of being in this conversation. It'll eventually change for Memphis. It's just not there yet to where it is with the Warriors. That's the smartest response to this question I've heard so far. And I guess maybe that means you're smart. I don't know. 
Uh, no. Or maybe that makes that maybe, maybe I'm dumb. I, I stayed know. at a Holiday Inn Express down the street last night. That I knew it. I knew it. I could I could smell it on you. Um, that so that's smart because that is the that is the really the truth. I think is their style. No matter how much it's improved or whatever over the course of last year, their style is more of a playoff style. And so yes. that that 100 is the answer. Um, and so hey, I'm glad I asked that. Because hey, I'm glad that you asked that. I'm I'm just a big dummy over here, just trying to hang out. Um, I'm glad that we. I'm glad that you asked. I answered, and that we acknowledged that you asked the right question, and I gave the right answer. I'm I'm glad we acknowledged that. <laughs> All right, Sean, we got one more. Oh, do we man, have another? Do we have another All Star on this team? Yeah. Oh yeah, we got Jaron okay. Jackson Jr. This yep. year. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Is a play? Is it someone that is worth consideration? Hell yes. Okay. Will it happen? Probably not. I'm 100% telling you he's got the resume to get it done, but I'm also 100% telling you I feel very unlikely it's going to happen. Okay. So we're in the so we're obviously picking players and because they're not all west or not all east this year. So who knows, you know, if anybody is held out of the All-Star game due to injury because I don't believe Jaron gets voted in right away as a reserve. I don't, I don't believe that happens. But with the injury, how many injuries do you think might need to, or people have taken out of the thing, how far down on that depth chart is he? I think that he's probably around 20 in the Western Conference, probably wow. the 20th best player in the conference. I'm not talking about right now. I'm going to make the argument all day long. Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing like a top 25 player in the league. Do I feel like he has the resume to be defensive player of the year? Hell yes. Do I feel that the probably the more likely thing to campaign for is defensive an all-defensive team? Yes, simply because of the fact that defensive awards are very much on reputation. They absolutely are. If a Rudy Gobert or um, you know, or a Nikola Jokic or somebody like that, even if Jokic is not known for his defense, he still obviously is known because of being Jokic. If either one of those players end the season on a great defensive run, they're probably going to get the nod, just like Draymond because of, uh, of them having that reputation. But if those players were to stay being injured, whatever it may be, sure, you could see Jaron on an all-defensive team. But the point that I'm getting at is, is that I think that Jaron right now is paying like a top 25 player in the league overall, but his resume I think would probably put him in that 18 to 20 list in the Western Conference right now if you truly were looking at it with an unbiased perspective of where he ranks among players in terms of their all-star eligibility. I think Desmond Bain is probably right there around 8, eight, or tw- eight to 20 as well. I think you can clearly make the argument that so far this year the Grizzlies have three of the top 30 players in the Western Conference. Wow. Yeah, that that's big. And the good thing is they're not over 25. They're not, like they're they're what 22 is the oldest one of them. I think Desmond Bain is. Desmond um, Bain's 23, yep. So that that's awesome. Sean, right now, how much fun has it been over the past let's say 6 months of being a sports fan of your teams? How much fun has it been? Yeah, well, it's been a lot of fun. Like, you know, hey, these guys, these guys right here last night, three months away from winning the World Series. So it's been a lot of fun. The Titans were, were a bit excruciating this year. The loss, I'm over it, but the loss was not fun to see. Uh, the Grizzlies have been outstanding. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
keeping it in relative expectations and things like that. At the end of the day, I'll tell you this, Daniel, the thing that really, really makes me excited as hell, my baseball team has Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies as its two best players. My football team has Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown as its two best players. My favorite basketball team has John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. as its two best players, and I haven't even named significant talents to go around them. So it's a lot of fun right now. It's absolutely outstanding. But especially for the Grizzlies, what makes it so fun is we already know, we keep talking about how Jaw and Jaron are special. And it absolutely is the truth. One thing that I think needs to be talked about a bit more is how much they consistently continue to improve month after month after month. That's what stands out to me. And that is what is so exciting that there's literally no ceiling on either end of the court. And the Grizzlies truly can have players that are playing like a top five offensive player and a top five defensive player for stretches at a time to anchor their present and future. That's what's so exciting. Never in the Grizzlies history. And since I, you know, since I've been a fan, since they've been here in Memphis, I've never felt as good as I felt about a team, even through the grit grind area era, uh, because of simply one thing is one, the star player, but two, the coach. Taylor yeah. Jenkins has coached his butt off. His, his, his staff has done an amazing job. And I, that's where I feel like we're in the, in the right direction because we have good front office, we have good coaching, and we have a really good star player. The thing that I'll say is this, Daniel, and to your point, is when I literally talk about this team, There are stats to back up, and there are layers of stats to back up what I'm about to say, and that's why I'm setting it up this way because I'm not just saying this as a hot take. I'm saying that this truly can emerge after this season. The the best offensive talent the Grizzlies have ever had is John Moran. I I, I don't think that there's anything or anybody arguing that point. The best shooter the Grizzlies have ever had arguably is Desmond Bain, or at the very least, he's the second best after Mike Miller. If you want to say that Mark Gasol was a better defender at his peak than Jaron Jackson Jr. is, I can get behind that. But Jaron Jackson Jr. is showing this year he has the potential to eventually eclipse that. And Taylor Jenkins, it's hard to really put him up next to Lionel Hollins or Dave Yeager just yet. But if we go past this season getting advancing in the playoffs, go into next season and keep building off this and being a top four team in the West once again, he can be there. The point that I'm getting at is in this calendar year, John Morant can clearly be our best offensive player in in franchise history. Jaron Jackson Jr., our best defensive player in franchise history. Desmond Bain, our best shooter in franchise history. Taylor Jenkins, our best coach in franchise history. Each and every one of those statements by the end of this year will have the validity that anybody will need to say those statements with confidence. And that's why eventually this roster has a very good chance to be the best ever that we've seen. I don't know if we need to say anything else that yeah. that kind of gave me chills, man, because yeah. that, that is the truth. Like that is the right direction that we're heading. And Sean, I, I literally, I can't thank you enough. I'm glad we became friends over this, uh, this past uh, two years, I guess it's been. Uh, it's been two years too long i know COVID. covid has been weird uh you know having to be around you is weird uh but whatever but it's it's really cool and i can't thank you enough we had the likes of what who jamie dixon i think it was and then there was a monica mcnutt this last episode and then there was tom izzo and now it's sean coleman yeah you saved the best for last like 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 listen to the headlines like it's just 
It's crazy, like yeah, that we I, get all I, these I, guests. I can't remember off the top of my head how many Final Fours Tom Izzo has been to in reality, but I can tell you how many Final Fours I've won via NCAA basketball video games. Yeah, he doesn't compare. Is that like NCAA 2002 or something? NCAA 2006. Thank you. <laughs> you hear that, Tom Izzo? You hear that? Come, yeah, include a game system, and you met your match. I'm just kidding. That was absolutely outstanding. I love Tom Izzo. So, just been, hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Sean, so much. We have a good uh, rest of the week. We have Orlando coming up and then a great next week before the All-Star break. All right, everybody, let's have a great week. Don't let the snow or the ice get you. Be nice and tell your friends. <laughs>